0: The first thing uh, is to define the social sciences, and this is our definition. Everything in the grey box is a social science, and you can see that it overlaps with uh, STEM disciplines, the science, technology, engineering, and maths disciplines, in important ways. So we've got geography, health studies, psychology, information systems, parts of maths, and stats, uh, which are overlap areas with the STEM subjects, and the, the proportions vary. Uh, I'll leave you to look at the details in the book. And then we have a big crossover area with the humanities, and we put law, for example, pretty strongly and definitively in social science now. And there's a few other things there, too. And the things that we don't put in uh, are a little bit over there. So it's a big field, and when we began work, we naturally, well, naturally, we assumed that there was a huge literature on the social sciences, And uh, the first shock horror discovery was that actually almost nobody has written anything about the social sciences as a discipline group. There is a very small literature which we cite rather repetitively because it's so small. Uh, But, uh, you know, most of the stuff is incredibly siloed and single-disciplined in its focus. And uh, that's a problem because uh, the epigraph of the whole book is from a guy called... John Gehring, and says, no escape is possible from broader interdisciplinary standards if the enterprise of social science is to prove useful to humanity. And that really is one of the big underlying messages of the book. The social sciences have been selling themselves short by being so incredibly fragmented and so fissiparous, and so divisive and so... Unable to do what the STEM sciences have done, which is to talk about the discipline group in an intelligent way. So that's the first argument that uh, we certainly make. Um, And uh, we just thought we should just get a few stats on board. What are the different core social sciences and the crossover bits and crossover with humanities? So these are the, there's a lot of tables in the book about which mention individual disciplines, and you can see which are the big ones. So education, academic studies and education is fantastically big, which I really didn't know until I started (laughs) this. Uh, Business and management and so on, Uh, and then social psychology, leading the STEM group, and uh, human social geography, and law, and bits of history. So that gives you some sense of what the discipline group is like in terms of where it sits and what people are doing. Um, Now, the social sciences are really quite big in relation to the humanities and the creative and arts disciplines, creative arts disciplines, and design, sorry, creative and design. But they're quite small vis-a-vis the STEM disciplines. So, if you look at the amount of money that goes into STEM, it's Getting towards 5 billion, 67,000 research staff, 53,000 research students. By comparison, social sciences, less than a fifth of the size, about a sixth of the size, has 32,000 research students and uh, 32,000 research staff, research active staff, and 20,000 research students. So it's uh, the second biggest of the groups, but it's nothing like as big as STEM, and in the past there's tended to be a lot of discussion about, you know, STEM versus other things, versus the humanities, versus the social sciences. We really came out of this book incredibly impressed by how that wasn't the future, really. The future for us is that the world really, and academic studies of the world, is incredibly focusing into three different sorts of things. The first is human-dominated systems, which are systems that basically are just human through and through and are engineered or constructed. And that brings together social sciences with things like engineering, IT, and medicine. That's a huge convergence area at the moment. The second uh, category of systems are natural systems that are autonomous or sort of partly autonomous, but they're kind of human influenced as well. And the sphere of what is human influenced has been continuously expanding, so pretty much everything that happens on the surface of the world is in some sense human influenced. For example, when humanity begins to influence climate change, that's a very limiting kind of a development. And then you have natural systems, which are mostly off planet, or geophysics. But uh, you know, we think the social sciences is pretty much increasingly integrating across the human influence and human-dominated systems, and is converging towards the um, the STEM systems, uh, STEM disciplines in many key respects, and will carry on converging for the future. I'll say a little bit more about that towards the end. And just to offer you one little small token, this is a a, uh, figure showing how much social science is referenced in STEM-related domains. You can see human geography is the the leading area. And how much STEM scientists are referenced in social science domains. Now, I should say that the the STEM sciences that we covered are just some of the STEM sciences, and they're just uh, a a comparator group, so we were not as confident about that. But uh, you can see that there's a a certain sort of ordering of what gets referenced uh, in STEM-related domains. We still have a STEM-dominated research culture. I can't tell you how many documents I've looked at where they say, we're going to talk about research, and then flip over into just talking about STEM and, like, you know, it's just ministers, I think, have this kind of rather techno-nationalist attitude inherited from a bygone era. It's not metal bashing or looking through microscopes. It's not really science. So you just forget about the social science when you get into it. And if you look at the distribution of money, you can see that the, the vast bulk of it does go to the STEM sciences. And that means that uh, 35% of STEM research active people just do research. And the proportion for the social sciences is, anybody like to guess? 15, pretty good. But it's actually 11% for the social sciences. So you've got three times as many research only STEM people as you have social sciences. And there problem that really we need to think about quite a lot more is the fact that we are a service dominated economy and we're going to carry on being a service dominated economy. Of course, politicians have these little techno nationalist dreams where they suddenly revive some industry and break out of where we are and create a wholly different economy. George Osborne was the last person, but there's a huge record of people who've had that dream. It doesn't really work, ever. And you can see that the growth of business and civic services is very strong and that manufacturing and utilities and amenities and primary sector activities are not going anywhere. And essentially, the problem here is that the social sciences feed into the service sector much more directly and much more pervasively than the physical and STEM sciences. There is a connection between STEM science and service growth, because a lot of modern service growth is what's called productizing services. But uh, the real connection and the real secret, really, behind the recent growth of the social science, which has been going on pretty well continuously for 25 years, despite various adverse developments in terms of funding and so on, um, is because Britain is essentially a service-dominated economy, 78% of the economy is services. And that's not going to get uh, any less as time goes on. Let's just move on and look at what shapes academic impacts, I should say, in the social sciences. The first thing to mention is uh, the social sciences are pretty poorly um, cited compared with the STEM sciences. Uh, So you can see uh, engineering, chemistry, uh, Doing very well here. Um, physics and medicine are not doing well, but this is because it's single, single author things. We have a bit of a problem discussing citations when we get into multi author things. Um, this hierarchy of social sciences that you see pretty well stands. It, a few disciplines shift up and down a place or two, but pretty well stands. So, one of the problems of the social sciences has been that they have not been you know very good at citing each other and we still have huge problems with fields of social science where people behave in a dilettante way don't systematically look at the literature and don't comprehensively cite uh, so that's that's one problem um, also we have disciplines between disciplines with different mixes of outputs so this is sort of the book ones at the top you can see history is Up there with philosophy and sociology, very book-orientated. And uh, the orange things are for journal articles. Um, I was surprised to see uh, political science so way down on the book list here because I thought we were more book-oriented. But there you go. Um, That's not comprehensive of all kinds of things. There are some things like uh, computer science and IT. These These are very low because they do a lot of stuff online now. Uh, and in working papers, and so on. Um, We can see uh, sort of classic power law distribution. This is a a log frequency of citation, uh, a log of frequency of items along the bottom, and a log of uh, total citations per output along the vertical axis, and you can see it directly for journal articles, other books, and uh, authored books. So you you get a kind of power law uh, distribution, which is heavily weighted towards a few things that are cited a lot. And then as you get uh, more and more uh, down the track, you know, the number of uh, items increases. So that's pretty familiar um, and not so very different. It's it's less steep than for physics. Uh, And here's a little regression equation. For those of you who like this kind of thing, and uh, the thing letters in blue for people who don't like this kind of thing. So we spent a long time trying to work out what variables shaped academic impact. And here is our list. It's not wildly earth shatteringly uh, uh, new, but uh, being a professor is a good thing if you want to have uh, academic impact. Working for a London University, apparently. and This is quite robust. Having a PhD compared to not having a PhD. Co-authoring. Being mentioned by external people, so that revalidates some people or extravalidates some people. I'm looking at Denny here as I say this. Time since publication, uh, generally speaking. Citations are good for, you know, good measure for older people and uh, white-haired folk like myself. And and then we have a few things, the year since qualification, status of the highest qualification research institution, i.e was your PhD from a Russell Group University. Um, And you can see a few other things knocking around that you might have expected. Um, This one's interesting. We had huge difficulty with about 40% of our academics establishing even the most basic things about them, like when they were born or where they got their PhD. An enormous number, about 40% of academics, I don't know what they're doing. They're kind of stealth academics. They, they, they creep around, they have no web presence, they have no, they, or if they have, it's got nothing interesting on it. So we thought the visibility of the academic would be important, and uh, you know, having a LinkedIn profile doesn't quite make it into significance. Gender doesn't make it into significance. We thought that that might be um, a factor, but it's, it's not really. It's sort of bubbling around. We were, at one stage, we thought that immigrants in Britain were doing, immigrant academics were doing better in terms of being cited than the Brits, but in that didn't quite make it, and so on. So we've pummeled this data set every which way, up and down and in and out, and that's the best we could do in terms of explaining what shapes academic impact. Okay, so moving on, let's look at external impacts. Um, And here we're concerned with, you know, the impact of um, academics outside the academy. And this is our sort of map of how this happens. Very busy, so I'll just discuss it in bits. The first thing to think about is when you're inside disciplines, you need to think about really um, four kinds of academic activity, which come out of the, uh, basically the same as the Boyer categories. So discovery, research, integration means pushing things together, making sense of things, application, applied work. And well, I called it teaching, but we don't think that's a good description. It's professional renewal. Uh, and of these things, the social sciences doesn't really do discovery research, or it doesn't do it in the kind of you know individual team, individual scientist discovery stuff that that is beloved of uh, the media and uh, uh, the sort of lone genius kind of model of scientific work. Uh, So we have a rather more collective discovery process in in social science. Of course, renewal doesn't really feed through into the uh, rest of the picture. So down here we have application which feeds through, especially in the social sciences, through academic service. quite an important thing, usually senior, but sometimes just well-connected, usually intelligent, but sometimes just well-connected people going and doing stuff for government uh, and doing it as uh, doing sort of academic service. And then uh, at the top up here, we have kind of another form, two forms of joined up scholarship, bridging work, which is mainly done by big public intellectuals and interdisciplinary units and that kind of stuff. And university local integration, which is very important historically for the development of of all the uh, sciences and social sciences. And particularly effective in, let's say, a big university like Oxford, where you've got a lot of different uh, disciplines. And then we have a whole set of mediating organizations who scavenge for, receive, perceive, reorientate repurpose repackage resell stuff that universities and researchers have developed these are the mediating uh, organizations in the impacts interface and then we get to well three big domains the public policy domain economic and business systems and media cultural and civil society systems And we've grouped the uh, mediating organizations roughly around the the three that uh, matter, but professions are very important also and and span across all those systems. So that's basically our picture of the way in which external impacts are created. And um, I think that uh, you you have to be realistic but that's always going to likely to be the case, that there, the extent to which there are direct academic impacts um, not mediated by these things is, is very modest. So here's a, just a, a little table showing you for the social sciences and some of the uh, physical uh, STEM sciences that, that included in our database, the, the light-colored ones. The total amount of external mentions, direct external mentions, that uh, we found uh, from our database search. And here we were looking in the wider Google web kind of domain. For myself, I think if something doesn't have an electronic footprint nowadays, it doesn't really exist, but we could argue about that. Uh, you can see the order of disciplines here is pretty much the, the, the order that we've seen before. Um, and it's interesting that the direct external mentions of uh, the physical sciences, STEM sciences, are less than the social sciences uh, for academics in our database. And the, um, the big thing is civil society and individuals who tend to give credit. Governments mention it a bit, but tend not to give credit, and uh, businesses are... Uh, Even amongst things like economics, you know, there's not a very big amount of direct referencing of academia in in the social sciences. The picture somewhat changes if we look not just at direct external society mentions, but also we include the sort of mediating middle that I just referred to. And You can see straight away that the physical science, the light gray ones, uh, bump up the rank order a lot because they have a lot of mediating middle coverage. So we've had, you know, a hundred years of very concentrated and interesting developments in science communication that largely haven't happened in the same way in the social sciences. Some of us are trying to change that, but uh, uh, I think that's interesting that some of the uh, STEM disciplines come a lot further up, but still we see the general picture is social science doing fairly well. And so we, did the usual kind of regression analysis, tried to explain external impact, and the things that seemed to work were age. It's, uh, it's a good thing to be an older type person because it takes time for you to be recognized. Total publications, it's, uh, I always uh, admired Randall Collins' history of Western philosophies and, and Eastern philosophies which says that uh, one of the key things that influences how much of a guru you become is how much you just bang it out and say the same thing over and over and over again, which is a good idea. Uh, total average citations is good for you. Total career references is good for you. There's a certain patina of distinction that comes from being referenced a lot by other academics. Working in the core social sciences is good for external mentions. Is un, uh, compared with the STEM sciences, it undeniably produces more references. We thought that uh, a kind of age squared thing might cope with you know, people being productive for a time and then sitting on their laurels and tapering off, but it didn't totally work. London University didn't totally work. Um, having a PhD, being a professor didn't totally work. Um, co-authoring and having a PhD from a Russell Group institution So it depends on the different kinds of models that you want to pick uh, which of these combinations of things uh, are important. But again, we couldn't really make gender work. We couldn't make nationality work. We couldn't make LinkedIn or visibility really work. Visibility began to be a little bit uh, salient in one model. So that's. the social sciences. And one of the things that then the book does is go into great detail in terms of different chapters about business, government, and um, uh, media, and NGOs, and so on. And generally speaking, we found that there were different kinds of problems attaching to getting into uh, relationships with organizations in these in these things so we have these sort of five stages along the bottom from the initial stage of identifying you know this work could be interesting to that organization then getting some kind of quid pro quo going between the organization and the thing then finding traction within the organization building the relationship so it doesn't just become a one-off kind of here today gone tomorrow relationship and demonstrating specific benefits to the organization. Generally speaking, the big problem in business is starting off. Right? So it's much harder to get going with a relationship um, here. Uh, and uh, once you've got past the initial barriers with business, actually business relationships usually sort themselves out and the difficulties go down. Whereas if you look at government, It's kind of easy to get involved, uh, but it's very difficult to stay involved because governments change. The conservatives love you. The Labor Party hates you. The civil service rotates with tremendous efficiency every two years. Relationships disintegrate. Government's not very good at organizing uh, long-term relationships, and it's very poor at demonstrating. Um, And then finally, when you look at NGOs, they seem to be a bit of sort of combination of the two. Again, they're easy to get to grips with initially, they're very hard to get quid pro quos because they're very poor and they can't give you money usually. Uh, Then things, you know, once you got past that hurdle somehow, you can get to having a good relationship again, demonstrating impact, pretty tricky. So that's the way in which we see the dynamic of uh, getting into different sectors. And just to run over uh, business, this is one of the things about business you find is that uh, social science people are much more spread across sectors in, in terms of who they have contact with and who they're working with uh, compared to uh, physical science. People who are much more concentrated in particular sectors. And if you look at um, Government we can see that social science is generally speaking doing pretty well it's not as integrated into government as health sciences but uh, but even the humanities are beating uh, stem on this kind of uh, this kind of basis so uh, so just to think about the role of the social sciences, just a few sort of round off comments um, this diagram shows uh, a kind of a map of academics' external uh, impacts along the vertical axis and academic impacts along the bottom axis. And we compiled it because we were rather sick and tired of being told two different contradictory uh, hypotheses that most people seem to use to think about these things. So one hypothesis says academics you know, can't write Uh, or at least can't write in any way that anybody outside can recognize as writing. They're very bad at communication. They're all autistic, you know, personally. They don't uh, get across to people. They don't uh, bend to, you know, external organizations' demands. And only people who are really applied academics get external influence. And the contra hypothesis, which was also energetically put to us by lots of people, was that uh, basically the same people were good at research as as were good at getting external impact. And why would external organizations take notice of people who hadn't got a good reputation in academia? Uh, Certainly businesses are quite interested in that. Government's quite interested in that. So we tried to sort of map out... Uh, an overall picture of where academics stood in our database, and some of these dots have got lots of academics standing behind them. The, the ones at the edges are just individuals. And basically, we we kind of group them. So you've got a group of people who are invisible uh, on academic outputs and externally, and that's just because they're young people and they're just starting out and so on. There's a few older people in there. Then we have the publishers who are kind of pushing along the horizontal axis, but they don't really want to be terribly well known, and they don't make any effort, and some of them are not very good at it when they do make the effort. Then we have a group of applied researchers who are very good at it, who sort of specialize at doing external impact. But then we have this blue-shaded group with a very solid middle of a lot of academics who are really pretty good at publishing and pretty good at getting external visibility. And then a kind of influential group who get a lot of citations and also get a lot of publicity because they're good at that and they're sort of more communicator group there. So it's quite a complicated picture. And some of the simple truisms that have sustained most of us in many a senior common room uh, discussion of, envious discussion of other people are getting lots more coverage than we are, uh, really don't work uh, is the basic uh, story. It's it's a complicated story. But there is a very big difference now, which is the growth of social media. And uh, what that should do, hopefully, is to help a lot of people move a lot more swiftly from the invisible category through the publisher-only category and into the getting noticed category and being part of the solid middle or whatever. And we really think that the growth of social media is changing the whole academic environment. It's changing how we do research. It's changing the nature of scholarship. And it's particularly changing the whole open access and other agendas. So that's one very big hopeful sign for the future. And so we'd hope to see a lot of these effects moving out a bit more, uh, especially in the social sciences. Second thing that we think is very important to recognize is that societies are advanced industrial societies, not just in terms of the knowledge that they currently use, but in terms of the other knowledge that they have that they're not using. So what sets the UK apart from, let's say, Nigeria, or? Afghanistan, or we could pick lots of different countries, is that we not only have a lot of knowledge that's in use, but we also have a lot of knowledge about potential. Now, we came to this notion of a dynamic knowledge inventory when we were doing some work for the British Academy, who had a committee of industrialists, and one of whom, I kid you not, had a Yorkshire accent. And when we said social science contributes to the knowledge inventory, he went, you up, blood, more or less in these terms. Inventory is unsold goods. That's stuff that's rubbish that's stuck in your warehouse. You can't get rid of it. We don't want any more of that. So we thought we'd put the dynamic in to just sort of knock that objection on the head. It was a very interesting thing. So basically, we've got a lot of uh, different kinds of knowledge. We've got ordinary knowledge. We've got applied knowledge and research, and we've got theory-based abstract knowledge and research. And all of these things are very importantly uh, melded together. So uh, you can't can't easily predict where the interconnections are going to work, and you can't easily predict what the ratios of knowledge in use to knowledge not in current use are. But uh, certainly, there's an enormous amount more knowledge in use. And that brings us on to just one final sort of set of points about the overall uh, scope and value of the social sciences. We've seen the number of people is 32,000 people in Britain. Research has got 850 million pounds of funding. Then we've got the other people who are working in the sector. And actually, if you look at the um, university uh, spending in the sector, it, uh, it adds up to uh, 2.7 billion. And if you look at the in- indirect and induced value, you get beyond that to 4.8 billion. And I thought I had a bit on the slide, and I, I do indeed, where we also looked at the who are the audience for social science. And the audience is uh, somewhat over 400,000 people, particularly concentrated in two really big areas. One is the public sector. Uh, public services and government. And the other is in uh, banking and financial institutions heavily. But there are also bits in media and consultancy and so on. And we uh, did some work with Cambridge Econometrics. And uh, they produced a kind of very conservative estimate of what the organizations that are employing this audience are spending on social science annually it comes out at about 24 billion pounds um, so it's a, a very important sector for the economy as a whole that leaves us with just the final side key challenges for the social sciences well better integrating the social sciences is very very important there's no future in being you know 44 different disciplines that's really a kind of suicide strategy and one that we need to really work on. And explaining how they're important in the the services economy, if we could incrementally shift 2 or 3% of the research budget towards the social sciences, then that would transform the way in which the disciplines work. But what we really need to do is to achieve a broad-front social science advance that integrates with the STEM disciplines and the humanities. We need to intensify the mediation of activities, mediation activities, and and speed up the churn of knowledge in in the dynamic knowledge inventory. It's really ridiculous how long it takes academic disciplines to respond to new developments. So, you know, my vision for the social sciences is very much that they'll move towards what Randall Collins called the sort of effective secret of the STEM disciplines of the last 150 years, which is, in the STEM case, rapid discovery. Well, it's not gonna be rapid discovery so much for the social sciences as so much as rapid advance and higher consensus. It's not gonna be complete or strong consensus, but there's, there definitely is a movement towards rapid advance and stronger consensus. And we have also in our, in our hands now a whole set of digital tools for radical disintermediation, which is an ugly word for cutting out the middle person in transactions, uh, and particularly cutting out the media, who have been incredibly uh, throttling in their uh, attitude towards the social sciences and restricted the ability of social scientists over the years to promote better understanding of what social science research is about. So we, we think within 10 years, universities Especially big universities like Oxford or LSE will be very important publishers in their own right, uh, direct publishers, um, direct broadcasters, and so on. So we have uh, 16 million podcast downloads from LSE's site last year. The, um, the uh, five or six, you know, rather strong academic books that we run had 1.8 million downloads. That's the future for social science. It's a direct communication with a much wider set of actors and publics, so thanks very much.